2013, Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters made a documentary called Sound City about the music studio responsible for some of the most famous rock albums ever made. The titular studio is where young Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham got their start, met Mick Fleetwood, and formed Fleetwood Mac. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers also recorded there. So did Elton John, The Grateful Dead, Pat Benatar, Rick Springfield, and Grohl's earlier band, Nirvana, which descended on the studio in the 90s to record the pioneering grunge masterpiece, Nevermind. I love this movie, probably because I'm a fan of most of the musicians who appear in it, and also because I'm a sap for movies about scrappy underdogs that somehow get ahead, even if they end up losing it all in the end. That's the story of Sound City Studios, which from a nondescript building in an industrial section of LA, essentially created the sound we know today as classic rock. The undisputed hero of the film is a $75,000 analog mixing board called The Neve. The giant console, one of only a few ever made, was created by a British engineer named Rupert Neve. The Neve board gets its own character arc in the film, going from the hot new thing to a beloved but obsolete antique. Grohl ended up buying the machine and lovingly placed it in his own recording studio after Sound City closed its doors in 2011. There are lots of reasons that independent businesses go under, but Grohl's documentary points to one villain in particular for sinking Sound City. I'm Heather Landy for The Quartz Obsession. On today's episode, Pro Tools. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Here's the story of innovation told in five words. Try, explore, connect, pivot, transform. See what happened there? As soon as connect entered the story, innovation became achievable. That's why Deloitte works with clients and tech alliances to bring together the people, ideas, and technologies to overcome, solve, and of course, transform. Connect to what matters for innovation. Start at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. In 1991, a pair of musicians with serious technical skills introduced the world to Pro Tools, an invention that made it possible to record, mix, edit, and produce music digitally. It was easier, cheaper, and more accessible than anything that came before it. Suddenly, you no longer needed $300,000 from the record label to get into a studio and make an album. Engineers no longer needed to use razor blades to splice tape, and they didn't need the tape anymore either. Machines like the Neve became relics of the analog age. Within 10 years of its debut, Pro Tools won a special Grammy in 2001 for technical achievement. That's a category typically reserved for humans. Pro Tools had already fully upended the studio business by then. To get a sense of its ongoing dominance and just how widespread its use is across genres, consider that in 2022, Pro Tools was used in the creation of every single record nominated by the Grammys for Record of the Year, including tracks by ABBA, Billie Eilish, Brandi Carlisle, Doja Cat, John Batiste, Justin Bieber, Lil Nas X, Olivia Rodrigo, Silk Sonic, Tony Bennett, and Lady Gaga. But the wave of innovation that Pro Tools inspired is maybe even better understood when you consider what it did for unknown artists, the kids making music in their bedrooms with little more than a laptop and a mic. Who invented Pro Tools? How did it get so dominant so quickly? And where does digital music go from here? Obsessing with me today is Nathan Prilliman. 
a New York-based composer who scores for film, dance, and musical theater, and is on the faculty of the Center for Innovation in the Arts at Juilliard, where he teaches music technology. Nathan's going to talk about Pro Tools from a practitioner's standpoint. But first, a quick history of how Pro Tools came to rule the music world. Like a lot of innovations of the past few decades, Pro Tools was developed by a couple of smart guys in the Bay Area who were trying to solve a problem they'd encountered in their own lives, in this case, as musicians. Peter Gotcher and Evan Brooks didn't exactly invent the idea of digital music, but they iterated on it in a really meaningful way. In 2012, Peter Gotcher gave an interview with NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants, about how the company behind Pro Tools got started. Gotcher is a drummer, and he played in a band with Evan Brooks, a keyboardist, when they were in high school. It was a lot of Led Zeppelin and The Who. They built a small recording studio behind Evan's dad's office building with a control room and a live room. So the DIY instinct was definitely there from the get-go. He was still playing with Brooks when the Emu Systems Drumulator would come out. This was one of the first digital drum machines, meaning you could use the machine to keep a groove and then play other percussion instruments on top of it. You could program the grooves you wanted, but these guys suspected there was more they could do with it. They opened up the drumulator and saw the chips inside that stored the sound. There were four memory chips for this, but then there was a fifth chip, and this one basically orchestrated what the others would play. It was a roadmap to the music, essentially, and it was impossible to reverse engineer. So they called and asked for the documentation on it, and they actually got it, which is definitely a case of right place, right time. Today, it would be really difficult to get that kind of information from your average tech company. Brooks had a computer he had built as part of his schoolwork at Berkeley, and they basically used it to hack together a digital recorder. So now they could take an analog recording of the music, make it digital, and create new drum sounds for the drumulator. What they created was essentially a programmable memory chip for the music. Emu saw the sales potential right away, and that's how Brooks and Gotcher's company, Digidrums, later renamed Digidesign, later renamed Pro Tools, was born. They basically bought chips, programmed them with sound, and sold them. And it was a pretty good business, at least for a little while. So when the Mac came out, Gotcher was intrigued and went to the very first Mac developers conference. Brooks and Gotcher created a Mac app called Sound Designer, which connected to a sampling keyboard to edit the sounds that they digitized. And this technology arrived just in time for Digidesign, because right about then was when the market for drum chips took a nosedive as new machines from Emu and Yamaha incorporated the stuff that Digidesign was putting on chips. And that's when Digidesign transformed from a hardware company selling chips to a software company selling what eventually became known as Pro Tools. The timing of all this was no coincidence. Hard drives were getting bigger, processors were getting faster, everything you needed to capture and process digital music was getting cheaper, more powerful, and more plentiful. In time, Pro Tools replaced the need for giant mixing boards, a big tape machine, and racks and racks and racks of intimidating gear that only a professional engineer could make sense of. It also had lots of plugins. Autotune is perhaps the best known of these. For a number of years, it was only available on Pro Tools. Pro Tools has spawned a lot of competitors like Ableton, Cubase, Fruity Loops, and so on. Some are more widely used in certain genres or for certain functions, but often they're patched together to make a complete system. Especially in the professional realm though, Pro Tools is so entrenched now that dislodging it would be like a new search engine trying to displace Google. Now that you have the history, let's zoom back into the present. 
I want to get some perspective on how Pro Tools is used today from someone who works with it in his own music and teaches it at Juilliard. Hi, Nathan. Hey, thanks for having me. So when you hear aging rockers talk about Pro Tools and its ilk, there's a sense of before times and after. But for a lot of younger musicians, Pro Tools or some of the similar programs out there now are really all they've ever known. So where and when did you first encounter Pro Tools? So my earliest musical experiences were studying classical piano as a little kid. And you might expect that to be a very kind of traditionalist environment. But the teacher I had was sort of very engaged with presenting music in sort of new ways and said, oh, of course, you know, if you're playing piano, you should want to record this. And it's frankly more convenient to record it digitally than analog. And why would we schlep over this giant tape machine when we can just do this with a digital system? So my dad got me a copy of Cakewalk Music Creator, which was a consumer-oriented digital audio workstation, then moved on to Sonar, started to record more and more. And when I went to college, started to work in Pro Tools and Logic. And you know, from then on, you know, there weren't a lot of people in my life questioning why I might use Pro Tools instead of a tape machine. And I think that's a pretty similar experience for a lot of folks who kind of came up at the same time I did, and certainly for people who came up later than me. Nathan, let's start at the very most basic level. What is Pro Tools? Pro Tools is one of a species of software applications called digital audio workstations. What that means at its most abstract is that Pro Tools and software like it can ingest, modify, combine, and output audio. Anything that you might want to do to audio, Digital Audio Workstation is where you're going to do it. How would you say that digital tools like Pro Tools changed music? That's a really good question. I think there's a couple of layers to that. One in a purely timbral form. Does tape sound different than digital audio? And the answer to that is in some senses yes, in some senses no. You can create a mix that sounds quite close to the mix that you would create with tape digitally, but tape tends to be noisier, there's maybe a little less high-end in some situations. The other side of this situation is, does the workflow of Pro Tools cause people to make different choices with the way that they perform, produce, arrange, or design their music? We could do things with Pro Tools like remove a single phoneme. If somebody says a word and the way they pronounce their S is a little bit strange, we could fly in a different S and make that take just perfect. If somebody is recording and you know they really, really can't do the whole song in one take, they, maybe they do one verse pretty well here, one verse well there, one verse well here, etc. You can comp that together with tape, but it's so much easier to do it in a very detailed way with the digital audio workstation. So that ability, I think, makes it so that people can create what might be more technically perfect takes. You don't have to, but there's certainly a temptation to say, you know, I'm a little out of tune there. Let's just fix that up. Does that take the humanity out of music in a way that concerns you? Or do you think that that's to the, you know, the benefit of of, of musicians and their listeners? So there's, there's a temptation to suck all the humanity out of it. I think you can create fully, totally imperceptibly human music that isn't a single take in a digital audio workstation. 
I don't think it's a given that stuff made digitally is going to be robotic. Nathan, I'm going to hold you up there for a second. Recording to tape, meaning? Recording to tape. So nowadays when we record, we record to zeros and ones as a method of capturing our audio. Prior to this digital system, we would record to tape. So essentially you would have long pieces of essentially plastic with some kind of ferrous or magnetic material attached. Then when you want to play that back, you take that same tape and run it across a pickup, essentially a different magnet, and it can detect those changes in magnetism. You can turn the back into an electrical signal that you can run out to your speakers, and voila, you've got music. Or whatever you recorded. So I used, to, I, I used to essentially do this at home when I was a kid with a cassette recorder. I'd hit play and record at the same time. I'd push the buttons. My friend Amanda and I would sing songs into the cassette recorder. Usually it was like Juice Newton or Pat Benatar. And then we would hit play and we would have this tape of ourselves singing ridiculously. But that's the same technology that they essentially used in recording studios, just on a much bigger level. You and Amanda were performing artists, recording engineers, and producers, audience, all in one. Amazing. But it is essentially the same technology. You might have a little bit bigger tape, a little bit more expensive tape deck, but it's all built of the same kind of thing. This tape paradigm that we came from, you could draw a pretty clear connection between that and even the user interface of something like Pro Tools. A traditional tape studio, you'd have a tape deck and you would have a mixing console. And if you open up the Pro Tools interface, you'll see that there's a kind of you know arrangement window where you've got stuff moving left to right and a little line showing where you are, which we call the playback head. That terminology comes straight from tape. There'll also be a mixer window, which is set up to look quite a bit like those analog mixers that people were using in the pre-digital times and still use today. So Pro Tools was really designed to say, hey, you're familiar with this tape way of working? You know, stop sending Ampex and 3M all your money. The tape is going to be hidden inside this little computer here and you're going to feel comfortable in the same user interface. I mean, why with Pro Tools or Logic or Ableton for when we cut stuff, is it a razor blade or scissors? With tape, when you wanted to cut the tape, you would literally pull out a razor blade or a piece of scissors and cut it. Versus, you know, in digital system, we could call it a split or something, but we still say, oh, that's the scissors tool. You've kicked up this memory for me now. And it has me thinking, though, that like I, I was making music in my bedroom, you know, as a little kid on a cassette recorder. What is it about digital systems that? kind of put all of that on steroids like why is it was it a matter of quality because i will tell you those tapes that amanda and i made one they're like a lot of the tapes got um like literally gnarled up and <laughs> we'd have to we'd have to fix them and sometimes they would just flat out break um but also like there's the quality on them was pretty terrible is that the big difference quality I think it's a mixture of quality, ease of use, and perhaps most importantly, ease of distribution. It's really hard when you record to tape to make 10,000 copies of that. And if you put out a song today and 10,000 people listen to it, that's a pretty small drop in the bucket. Whereas now if I make a digital recording, 
I can put it online and a million people could listen to it tomorrow without me having to go to the you know store and buy 999,000 more copies of you know blank tapes. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? It's a question that drives progress. And more importantly, how do you get there? It's curiosity, resourcefulness, and bold ideas that can drive us even further than new technology. Because while technology can take you far, human exploration could take you even farther. Deloitte helps businesses build the future only they can imagine by melding deep business acumen and innovative technology with a vast team of tech-savvy professionals. Unlock technology as powerful as your vision and push the boundaries of the possible so that you can stay a step ahead with the thinking to help you transform what's next into what's now. Helping you see the extraordinary potential in the seemingly ordinary while blending the possible with the practical is what Deloitte does. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. easy or hard is it to teach this stuff? That's what you do at Juilliard. Um, is it easy for students to come in and 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 work with this thing? Is it intuitive? Um, or is it really sort of a, a master craft kind of situation? You know, it, it really depends. I think a lot of people can grasp the basics of this very easily. The idea of here is a piece of audio and we're going to have it start a little later or we're going to cut it so that it stops here is pretty straightforward. I think where people tend to get tripped up is when they have to really interact with some of the more technical things, like what sort of file formats and dynamics are within those file formats are most appropriate for what use case. So if you're delivering to a TV show versus delivering to Spotify versus the way that you create your files, the way that you optimize them for those different environments can be pretty different. So things like that, I think people find tough. And also, you know, the hardest part of all this that I tell my students is at some level, if you're creating music, you got to make good music. So if your music isn't doing what you need it to do just on the level of the notes and the lyrics, etc., no amount of audio polish is going to save you. In that sense, do you think that the concerns that, oh, with Pro Tools, anybody can make music now and it's going to lower the quality of what's out there, are those kinds of sort of gatekeeping concerns overblown in that sense? Yeah, they're so overblown. In fact, I think tools like Pro Tools have unleashed so much great music that we would never have heard otherwise. The kind of democratization of access to recording means that someone who's got a great idea, but they only have a small amount of money, can bring that idea to fruition. Let's say, you know, it's 1970 and you want to create an album. Well, you got to get a fair amount of gear. And, you know, how much does a eight-track tape deck cost versus a laptop, one microphone? You can make it happen with a lot less money. Does this mean that sometimes people create music that maybe could use a few more layers of polish, maybe could, should be shown to a few more people to say, hey, you know, maybe you want to tweak this. Yeah, totally. But I'd say the more access people can have, the better. There's so much great music that's just lost from, you know, the last, all of human existence because we didn't record it. Yeah, absolutely. 
So meanwhile, it's not just the bedrooms and the living rooms that Pro Tools has taken over. I mean, the actual studio system has been completely upended by this stuff. And like every major studio is going to have this available at an extremely professional level. Yeah. In fact, I'd say that it's taken over studios and post-production pretty universally, whereas the bedrooms are not as universally taken over by Pro Tools specifically. There are other digital audio workstations, Logic, Ableton, GarageBand, that you see more often at home for another reason than they're cheaper. Similar functionality, but more accessible. But if you're working in a commercial studio, yeah, I pretty much expect that there's going to be Pro Tools on the computer. Does that mean that they don't have other stuff that you know maybe their house engineer prefers for whatever reason? Yeah, totally. But in the studio, you expect them to have Pro Tools because if you then go into another studio, you want to be able to take your session with you. And if you have to convert everything, it's a little bit of a hassle. There's been so much lamenting about uh, about the, the technological takeover of these studios, but this is not the first technological sort of great schism that the music industry has seen, right? <laughs> yeah. One thing that I think a lot of people forget is that the music industry has been upended many times through history. Let's say that you want to throw a nice event, you want to have a dance, and the year is 1850. Well, you're going to hire a band to come play. There's going to be a bunch of musicians. They're not going to be amplified, so you need a lot of them to be audible. Compare that to... You know, 1970, 1980, you know, are you going to hire a band for prom in 1980 or are you going to use pre-recorded music? When you go to prom these days, is there ever a band? There's one person who is playing back pre-recorded stuff. So recorded media in general caused an enormous change in the music industry. At the same time, there are things that have caused similarly large shifts in perhaps different ways, moving away from hard media, CDs, tapes, etc., to streaming, downloads, enormous shift in the way that we consume music, the way that it's delivered, and the way that we create it for those platforms, in the rise of synthesis technology, sampling, etc. I mean, how many working drummers are there in New York City now compared to how many working drummers there were in 1980 compared to 1990 or even 2000? Big difference with the rise of the drum machine, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, this isn't the first thing, and it's not the last thing that's going to happen to the music industry. So I have a friend who produces music and uses Pro Tools, and I've asked him sort of where he learned and if he would ever want to teach it to other people. And he said, oh, I could never teach it because I only know to use it the way I use it. And every producer I know, he says, uses it the way that they use it. And that he watches other producers and like, oh, you do your bass drums like that? Like, wh why would you do it that way? Um, and it seems to me like that is the ultimate expression of sort of a homegrown art and learn, you know, people learning by by messing around in their in their bedroom or their living room um, and figuring this stuff out on uh, figuring this stuff out on their own. Um, is that your sense of how these systems are getting taken up by musicians today or you know i mean you're you're formally teaching this kind of stuff in a classroom so when people are coming at that level to a juilliard you know what what are they looking for that you might maybe can't figure out doing it by yourself at home i think that ultimately a lot of this stuff probably all the stuff one can learn on your own or by immersing yourself in a scene 
One of the beauties of something like Pro Tools versus, say, a piano or a violin is there's a manual. You can open up that manual and look at, all right, how do I use this function? And a violin doesn't want to teach you how to use itself. Like it, there, you have to like go to somebody who knows how to do that to show you where to hold your hands. Whereas Pro Tools, Avid would love for you to know how to use Pro Tools. And the same is true of Logic, Ableton, etc. There are a lot of resources out there to learn how to use the basics of these tools, very specific things, anything that you could want to learn. With my students, oftentimes they come in with a fair amount of facility with using a digital audio workstation. They can record audio, they can record MIDI, they can synthesize some stuff, but they might not have the kind of understanding of what are the digital files that they're interacting with actually made of and how is that going to affect how they might deliver them or adjust their music. I think one has to ultimately learn by doing that you can't use Pro Tools until you use Pro Tools. You can't read up on it and then sit down and feel comfortable at it. There's a even a muscle memory and just a kind of fluidity that's required to be a professional user of this kind of stuff. But I do think that there's a lot of kind of fundamental underlying technology and how this stuff works that can that could be useful yeah absolutely one of my daughter's favorite bands um the producer of a lot of the songs goes on youtube pretty regularly to give production breakdowns of some of their big hits and he'll like literally share his pro tools screen on the youtube video so people can follow along and he'll say so we added this kick drum here and we lowered this sound here and we changed the pitch this way um and it's really fascinating to me i mean i think like you know, 30 years ago, if you were like really into Madonna, you wouldn't necessarily need or want to even see how her latest song was made because there was no possible way that you could ever replicate that at home. You needed to be in a studio with like tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars and gigantic mixing boards that wouldn't even fit in my living room. Um, And today I could have my own laptop out or my daughter could and follow along with her favorite musician and watch how he mixed different things. That's absolutely right. That accessibility of both the tool and the educational resources is something that for me is, for me as an educator is extremely exciting because I know that when my students leave my class, they can just keep going and going and going. And as long as they get an internet connection, nothing can stop them from developing the tool set that they need to create the music that they want to create. Um, so what, what do you ultimately want people to know or take away from the idea of Pro Tools and its influence on music? Uh, on the whole, I'm, I'm imagining as you use it and teach it that you're going to say it's a good thing. Um, are, are there reasons to be skeptical of it and, and the impact it has on music? Um, do you feel like we would even have music today if it weren't for systems like this? I think we would still have plenty of great music without digital recording technology. I think that I I pretty unequivocally think that it's a really great thing. It's allowed so much music that otherwise wouldn't be possible either from just an economic standpoint as well as from a creative standpoint to exist. There's music that probably everyone who's listening to this podcast loves that you just wouldn't have access to if tools like Pro Tools didn't exist, either it would be too expensive to make or 
the artists, you know, wouldn't have been able to actualize that vision. They wouldn't have, it would have been convenient enough to do 500 vocal takes to get that sound or to layer 20 guitar tracks or whatever needed to happen. So my takeaway is that while we should fear our coming robot overlords, Pro Tools isn't that. And there's a lot of great stuff that Pro Tools gives us. And I think there's a lot more coming down the pipeline from further developments of tools like Pro Tools that we should be very excited about. Yeah, what are some of those developments that you think we'll see? Well, I think there's a couple of areas of big active research that I think are going to give us some some interesting stuff. There's a lot of research into immersive sound, so audio that can be placed in front of you, behind you, etc. People may have encountered uh, Dolby Atmos, which now you can have music mixes uh, through Apple Music that take advantage of that. So there's some creative possibilities there. I think we're also seeing ever more you know, ability to kind of salvage suboptimal recordings to take audio apart and put it back together. You know, we have tools now where we can extract a vocal from a recording and remix it without having to get access to the original stems. That technology is going to get better and better. Recordings that people made on their cell phones with suboptimal microphones are going to get better and better. And stuff that was recorded a long time ago with the technology of, you know, the 1930s or 40s will be able to improve. So I think a lot of that stuff is very exciting to me. Nathan, thank you so much. This was so interesting. Thank you so much for having me. Special thanks to Nathan Perlman of Juilliard. This episode was produced and edited by Chad Shanai and engineered by Juan Palacios and Angel Fajardo, with additional support from Quartz executive editor Susan Hausen and head of video Garth Bardsley. Our theme music is by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Sugira. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you're listening. Tell your friends about us. Know someone who's still cutting tape the old-fashioned way? Send them this episode. Then head to qz.com obsession to sign up for Quartz's weekly obsession email and browse hundreds of interesting backstories. I'm Heather Landy. Thanks for listening. This one's for you, Amanda. Today's word on innovation? Possible. It's the daily mantra of Deloitte teams and clients who turn complexity and challenge into opportunity and growth, impossibly often. Read their stories at Deloitte.com slash US slash client stories. So there's a lot of resources out there to learn how to do specific things, you know, et cetera. <laughs> Let me rephrase that.